Here's a sobering stat. According to Linda Babcock from Carnegie Mellon University, if you don't negotiate your salary in your early career, you'll risk leaving one to 1.5 million freaking dollars on the table in your lifetime. That's way too much. And that's why today we're talking about how and when to negotiate your salary or a raise. Welcome to Figuring It Out, the podcast for millennials figuring out life in our 20s and 30s. I'm your host, Melissa Guller, and each week we explore a new topic on work, relationships, lifestyle, and more. How confident are you in a salary negotiation? Most people shy away from negotiation out of fear, fear of losing the job. Fear of being seen as pushy or fear of rejection. The list goes on. But the truth is that your prospective employer or your boss, they expect you to negotiate. In fact, an Elle magazine survey found that 89% of people who negotiated succeeded in getting that higher number. So the risk is much lower than most people realize. But I know it's much easier said than done. And that's why I've recruited two guests to help us out. By the end of this episode, you'll learn how to prep for a negotiation and how to answer some of the tricky questions that might come your way. We'll also talk about negotiation beyond the money, including how to bring benefits or work flexibility into the conversation. Lastly, we'll talk about how failing to negotiate could actually cost you the job. And hopefully, we'll empower all of you great listeners to research and ask for what you're worth. Today, we have two great guests here to share their expertise with us. Not only have Zephan and Christina interviewed and negotiated for their own executive positions, but they've also built and grown phenomenally successful teams. So they've been on both sides of the negotiation and seen what really works or, you know, doesn't. First up, we have Christina Banahansky, an e-commerce and digital marketing vet with over 10 years of experience at luxury and contemporary brands, including Sam Edelman, Anne Fontaine, and Temperley London. Christina previously served as the director of e-commerce and digital marketing at Untucket, where she oversaw digital strategy, built a digital team of 15, and drove the growth of Untucket revenue from 8 million in 2015 to 100 million in 2017. Now, as Rome Luggage's chief digital officer, Christina leads digital business and strategy, sales, marketing, and operational projects following the brand's recent launch in 2018. Our second guest is Zephan Fischel. Zephan is the VP of sales at Content Square and loves coaching people to achieve results only possible as a high-performing team. He has spent the majority of his career scaling high-growth software companies and advising startups, and his expertise includes value selling, business operations, and people leadership. While leading sales teams is his primary job function by day, Zephan also enjoys sailing, traveling foreign countries by motorcycle, and competing in triathlons. So Christina and Zephan, welcome. I'm so excited to have both of you here. And this episode idea came up a while ago when Zephan... You and I were getting coffee, and you mentioned that a lot of your friends, uh, women in particular, often seek out your negotiation advice 
because you're quite comfortable and seasoned at negotiation since you've held so many sales and leadership positions and you have formal training. But uh, you told me you realized that not many people are ever really taught how to prepare and execute a negotiation. So that's why I'm so thrilled to have both of you here today to really help equip listeners with the knowledge and the tools they need to head into a negotiation. So I want to kick things off by talking about what you need to do before you even enter a negotiation for a new job salary or a raise. So Christina, maybe let's start by having you talk about what should somebody do to really feel prepared before they walk into a negotiation? So the best time whenever you're interviewing to broach the negotiation of salary is no sooner than when the interviewer or hiring manager asks first. You, you never want to lead with that. Um, but but once you are prepared to to open up that discussion, you know, you really have to, to Zephan's point, have the research and have a really back it up. So you have to research the fair pay. Um, you have to pull proof of your contribution and the value that you'll bring to the table um, in your current or new role. Let's talk about somebody applying for a new job first. So what advice and what kind of preparation would you suggest for somebody looking for that new job? So to prove your value at a, at a new job, you really want to, depending on what industry or sector you're in, you want to bring examples of what you've done in the past, um, proof of concept, any success that you've brought, um, leadership roles, and and true value that you've given to the to the company. Um, basically, I want to know how you're going to make my job easier. I want to know um, how you're going to make the company and myself more successful, and basically how you're going to get my boss off of my back. Um, so really prove how what you're going to do to to leverage that um, your background to this role, regardless of where you're coming from. Zevin, do you want to add on? Yeah, I think Christina said it well. The first thing that I look for, regardless of whom I'm interviewing, and I interview cross-functionally as well. So I don't just interview sales folks. I interview for um, marketing folks. I interview for creative folks. Um, any kind of anyone in my org uh, or the, the company that I'm that I'm working at at the at the given time. Christina said it very well, though. One of the strongest things that somebody can do is bring real examples of the work that they've done in the jobs past and show and communicate the impact that that had on that company's customers, the colleagues, and the business as a whole. So if you're a creative person, what did you create or develop or what artwork did you make? That's really, really interesting. I definitely want to see that. But what was the impact of that on the company's customers? Or if you work in HR, um, what was the impact of your work on the people whom you worked with in that organization as it pertains to candidates that have come through the process, uh, folks that have been promoted up, and what was the what was the impact of your work is really, really helpful to get insight and tra- and communicate the value of your work beyond the work itself. Yeah, I think what you both bring up is that anytime you're interviewing for a new job, you're bringing this value to the company, and that's something that they would happily pay for. They're excited to bring you on. Their organization clearly needs something, and I feel like a lot of people go into a negotiation afraid to ask and to ask for too much. But the fact is that they're hiring this role for a reason, so they need you probably even more than you need them. It's easy to forget when you're in the moment and all you want is that brand new job. Let's talk a little bit more about a couple of scenarios. So you're interviewing for the job. You've reached the point of negotiation. Some of the common things that I think people might wonder is what happens when they ask you for a number? What should you do in that scenario? Yeah, it's a really good question and one that I get asked a lot by a lot of different folks in my in my network and friends and, and whomever. I'll answer it first by saying 
money is not the only thing that you should be thinking about with negotiation. It's one of many components. So before you even start the conversation, what's really, really important in terms of the preparation in advance is identifying yourself what's most important to you in that negotiation, whether for it's for salary or for lifestyle or for other. There's a lot of different things when it comes to finding a new job or uh, trying to get a new job that's really important. For some people, it's flexibility of their work uh, of their work day to day. If you have a family, uh, for some people, it's location proximity to their home, um, given other responsibilities and life responsibilities. For some people, it's the benefit of the health insurance, knowing that they may have children coming on, knowing that they may be developing a family. Um, so there's a lot of other really interesting components that um, is important for you to think about around what's most important. Money is a piece of that. To answer the question specifically about the money piece, which is the part that a lot of people find really important and challenging, there's a there's a no right answer. Here's how I've recommended it, and here's what I've used that has worked really well for me. I'm not saying it works well in all scenarios, though. But here's how I think about answering that question. First, like know with it with within a range of where that role is. Uh, and how much it offers. And you can do that in a number of different ways, which I can talk about in a little bit. Here's how I specifically answer the question, how much money do you want? I usually like to answer the question like, other roles that I'm interviewing for from other companies are within the range of a high number to a lower number. Does that fit within, does this role fit within that range? So you give the higher number first. And then I stop and I, and I stop talking and then I pause and use silence to my advantage there. Can you talk a little bit more about the silence and the pause? I feel like most people are going to be tempted to just keep talking. Exactly. It is a trained thing that is so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable and something that I struggled with so much earlier in my career is using silence in negotiation and simply any conversation as a really powerful tool. It's uncomfortable. It's so awkward to have silence, but to the extent that you can practice this is really, really interesting. Um, You've answered the question of how much money do you want? You want, you, you, but you've done so in a way that shows the other person, whether it be a hiring manager or the recruiter or the HR person, that other people are valuing you within these ranges. And it gives flexibility there as well within that certain range that's uh, that should make sense based off of the market data that you have that you've already done research on that you feel confident in and that's fair, right? It needs to be fair and, and reasonable. You can't be crazy and say, I want $10 million for the sake of it. Uh, it will actually, you'll lose credibility in that in that negotiation. But if it's fair and within range and you phrase it in a way that shows this is how other people are valuing me, this is how the market values me. Then you stop talking, say, does this fit within that range? It puts the other person, it puts the other party in the ability to say like, okay, um, that actually makes sense, yes or no. And you look for levels of alignment there. And how do you figure out what those high and low numbers should be? Good question. Uh, I think Christina has a, has a couple of thoughts on this as well, so really want to get her take. You need to understand kind of where your value and market is and have a lot of conversations. 
I find it's really good practice to go and take interviews, whether it be phone calls, even though you're not necessarily interested in the job, to help set a baseline and understanding of your value in the market. I found that for myself to be really, really helpful in having the next career or like job conversation around uh, whether it be asking for a raise or others that I really recommend other people do regardless of their capacity. And there are quick online tools that you can use. You know, Glassdoor is a really great one where you can see um, what general salaries out there that, that match your um, the role you're interviewing for. And, you know, building off of what Zephan was saying about if you don't have the opportunity to the luxury or the opportunity to really say, OK, I'm interviewing out here and here's what they're offering or what those salaries look like, you know, just stating precisely where where you want to be and, and, and what the value in, in that you bring to the table for that role um, really helps with that. I think one one key part is I really like that laws are kind of shifting to remove the what are you currently making question out of the equation. And I think that is really valuable for both the interviewer and the actual or for, for the candidate and the actual interviewer. And um, that really takes it so that you're not perceived as your value or your worth based on what you're currently making, but rather what you can bring to the table and what a fair pay for that role is. If somebody is asked, though, about their current pay, what do you think the appropriate answer might be for that? You know, I thought about that a lot, actually, because I was um, thinking about the the fact there's a new law. And as I'm hiring, I'm on the other side of it. And but I actually prefer to not have to really broach that topic. I want to know what I'm willing to pay and what the value for that role actually is based on their year's experience. So I come in, obviously, doing the research as well. I think a good answer for a candidate, um, obviously, to not make it awkward, not say I can't answer that question, would be a range, always having a range. And, you know, I'm currently at this, but here are my benefits, here's my bonus, and and et cetera. So it's it's really tough to walk because I know a lot of people are not um, genuine or <laughs> sincere about what they're actually currently making. Um, so you kind of have to use your discretion and, and see how the conversation goes. Yeah, it's a really good question and one that uh, I feel personally strongly about when I get asked. And it is just for the the, the listeners, it is now, I believe, I believe, I'm not 100% positive, but I'm like 90% positive. It's an illegal question to ask in the state of California and in the state of New York, what is your salary? So for those listening, True. like if you're asked that question, just say like, it's. I don't know if that's an appropriate question. That said, you probably will at some point in your career be asked that question. Here's how I answer it. There's three people. I appreciate your question. I don't feel comfortable answering it. There's three people who know that number. Myself, my accountant, and the IRS. Um, and it's something like something I don't personally feel comfortable with. I, I much rather have a conversation around what's my value that's um, aligned with the value that I'm bringing to this company and in this role. And if you can approach it respectfully and professionally while being firm, it's okay. You also, I also add, like, you don't need to answer every single question that you're asked. And that's a really important uh, misperception around negotiating, I think. You know, I was actually asked that by um, a potential investor recently, what I previously made at my role. And I didn't quite know if he knew what I'm making at my current role or, or what he knew, but I was caught off guard by the question for sure. And I think especially as a woman, I was kind of torn on how to answer. And I think Zephin's right. You know, you don't have to answer, but I feel I'm personally not as confident to just not answer a question. So I was just a little bit vague. Um, So being vague and giving um, a range and and bonus and like I said, bonus and um, benefits that you have and just kind of broach the topic there 
being vague might, might be the best approach. Yeah, I think it's great that you've both offered a few different options so that people listening can kind of choose what feels more natural and comfortable for them. Now, before we move on past the just the dollar amount, I do want to ask and say, I feel like if even you do the market research and you see numbers that are higher than what you're currently making or higher than you feel comfortable asking for, how can we encourage listeners to still ask for fair market value, even if that number seems absurdly high to them? Because Zephan, I know you and I have talked about this, where when you've been coaching, particularly women in the past, you've recommended and helped them do research, they found a range, and then they'll go in and they'll slightly lower the numbers. So how can you go in and feel confident asking for a number, even if it's higher than what you're used to? Yeah, it's a really good question and something that uh, a lot of uh, female friends of mine have come to me and asked, like, how do I approach that conversation? And I cringe, like I get so physically frustrated when I hear that um, we have and practice the conversation together. And then when they, I ask them afterward the meeting, how did the meeting go? What did you ask for? And they discount themselves before the even before the conversation. And that just, oh, I get so frustrated. Uh, I get so frustrated and I, and I, I realize how important it is to empower everybody, women specifically, to feel power going into these conversations. Um, I recognize this like as a male who has formal training in asking for money. That is my job. Um, and I, and I want so badly to, to like just level the playing field here. I don't know. Uh, I don't have the answer there, but I want everyone to feel empowered to be able to ask for what they deserve uh, within within fair reason, right? A few ways of going about and doing that besides doing the research and feeling confident is to practice um, and ask for help and support along the way. Find a partner. Find somebody who has aligned incentives with you a friend, a family member, think about incentives, really. Even another coworker who doesn't necessarily work in your organization or on your team and be like, hey, this is really important to me. How would you recommend I approach this conversation? And like look for mentors and areas of feedback that you can use. And in doubt, like when in doubt, call me, call Christina, like get a hold of me. And I'm more than happy to uh, help provide my guidance perspective there. I've definitely seen the same. You know, I was going to say the same. I've seen candidates really undervalue themselves right out the gate or or come in with their lowest asking price right away. And I think that immediately, even if you're a really great person interviewing this candidate, you actually immediately doubt their ability to complete the job. So I think you have to have that confidence in silence is golden. Zephan touched on that. Great. Especially women, I think you, you really speak up to to fill the void. And if you're just confident and know your worth and or at least saying it during that um, mm-hmm. that discussion, then, you know, you can take it from there. But at the end of the day, you know, you might be desperate to land the job, but you really need to take the time to think about if it's the right role, because ultimately you should be there for, you should be making that salary, be comfortable making that salary for about two years. I think you brought up something important too, which is people expect you to negotiate when you come into these interviews. And in fact, when you do negotiate, you come across as a stronger candidate. They want to know that if you're willing to advocate for yourself, that you would do the same for their company when hopefully you get the the job that you're interviewing for. So 
Negotiation is a sign of confidence, and you shouldn't hesitate to negotiate. In fact, I have this stat from Salary.com. They found that 84% of employers expect prospective employees to negotiate during the interview stage, but only 30% of women actually negotiate, while 46% of men do. So I thought that that was a curious but unfortunately unsurprising stat. Um, So I'm curious to hear, why do you guys think that more women aren't negotiating? Melissa, I hear that stat and I, I, I really cringe. It makes me really uncomfortable and, and, and disappointed in men that we haven't done more to help close that gap um, uh, of percentage of, of women who ask, right? Um, I don't know why. I don't think I'm in a position to make an assumption of why um, as, a, as a man. But I can tell you this, that uh, regardless of gender, I think one of the biggest misconceptions around negotiating is the perceived risk, uh, the perceived downside risk of even asking the question in the first place. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So when I have conversations with my friends around uh, looking for jobs or salary negotiation, uh, male or female, the they have this perceived risk around like, oh, well, what if I what if they say what if they what if I what if I don't get the job? What if they say no? If I even ask the question and I'm going to say it loud and clear right here. Never have I heard and I could be wrong, but never have I heard of any employee, any candidate, any job candidate getting a job offer rescinded to them by simply asking the question. There is a huge misconception in negotiating that simply asking for information or asking for something, whatever that thing is, there's a huge downside risk to that. There's not. The biggest problem, the biggest downside risk is that you're told no. Uh, no, like, no, I can't give you that. Or like, no, I'm not going to share that information with you. And I say this from somebody who's now responsible for people and now responsible for managing and hiring and, and going through hiring candidates of all different capacities. Ask, uh, and start by act by starting like everyday life. Um, you don't need to start with the biggest, uh, the biggest, uh, stakes of, of like, uh, career conversations and salary negotiations. Start by practicing in everyday life, uh, with the flower lady down the street, uh, at lunch with when you're ordering lunch, uh, in the smallest minutia ways, look for those small opportunities to practice on what you're asking for and simply getting more. And that starts with identifying yourself what is most important to you in negotiation. I go back to what I said earlier. Money is not always the number one most important thing. In fact, it probably shouldn't be. Uh, there's a lot of other things that back out to a positive lifestyle and a fulfilling lifestyle that I think really you should be thinking about solving for when you're identifying the list of priorities around what's most important to you. Can you give some examples? Yeah, sure. Some examples of that are health benefits. Uh, it's really important that here in America, we have a pretty poor uh, health insurance system. So I personally look for real things that are uh, companies that provide really strong health, health, dental, and vision, and so forth, especially for families. Really, really important. Um, flexibility of, of time at work. Um, how often do I be in the office or can I work from home part of the time so long as I'm fulfilling and overachieving on the requirements of my job? Other examples around stock options and benefits like that. For Silicon Valley-based companies in tech, stock options are a big part of the offer package that a lot of people put a lot of value on. That can, over, that can over, overweight or underweight how much money you're actually making. 
Um, there's a number of different things uh, that can go into negotiating. Uh, for pharmaceutical sales reps or folks in medical, they get car car allowances. That's a huge, huge thing. Like, that's a real thing. I've never worked in pharma, but I heard heard that people get cars paid for. That's crazy. I should switch to pharma. Yeah. <laughs> so those are just a few examples. So think about what are the important things in your life, how you prioritize those, that back out to having – the back out to you having the lifestyle and fulfilling lifestyle that you want at this phase of your life and your career. Definitely. And, you know, flexibility in schedule is is one of the most critical items for me and for people that I bring on board, um, especially with e-commerce, anything digital, you know, that's around the clock. Um, the website, the store doesn't close. So I know that developers or e-commerce managers in particular are working around the, around the clock. Digital marketing channels are running around the clock. So so knowing that you're you're working um, whenever you're working from home or evenings and weekends, as long as the job's getting done, I'm com- completely good with that as long as I feel very confident about about what the candidates or the imp- the team members actually contributing. Um, so that's why I also look to offer uh, unlimited vacation. That's incredibly value and and at least additional vacation if you're, you know, considering to kind of compromise the salary range you were looking for, right? Um, and then lastly, cell phone coverage. I think particularly with social media or, like I said, e-commerce, anybody that needs to be work, working around the clock, having that cell phone covered so that you're, you feel a little bit better about posting to Instagram first thing in the morning on a Saturday, um, then, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely willing to cover that or, or have the company cover it. I'm curious while we're still on the topic, are there any other things that you see people maybe mistakenly doing or things that they think are helping them in the negotiation but are actually hurting them? Yeah, so so Zephan mentioned this. I think we covered it a little bit earlier, but the the biggest issue that I've seen is people just storing their cards up front. Um too quick to offer up what they're currently making, too quick to to show what they're willing to accept as the as the lowest um lowest form of you know, payment or benefits. Um, I've actually had other employee, employees or candidates uh, that showed a lot of entitlement and really didn't prove what the, the value was that they're asking for or offer up anything, you know, to back it up. Um, and I think another thing is people make it very personal. Although what you're making and your benefits and your your life are very personal to you, it's not necessarily to the employer, no matter how close you are to that person. Um, you can't really come in and say, you know, your rent was increased 15%, so your salary needs to reflect that. It really needs to be about when the company's making um, promotions or pay raises. Um, and, and if it's out of that cycle, what have you done in within that time frame to to support or to necessitate that, that, that raise? And you mentioned this earlier, but the boss or whomever has the control over you getting a raise or getting the job, they want to know how you're going to make their life easier. So talking about your rent isn't really going to resonate with them. But if you come in and you talk about the value you'll provide or have already provided, that's going to speak a lot more loudly. Absolutely. And that's a great point. You know, your boss is, is your biggest advocate. And unfortunately, one of the biggest challenges is, and, and I've personally been affected by this, is if your direct boss doesn't have your back, you could be doing an incredible job. You could absolutely deserve this race. You could probably ask five times, and it might not get to the to the powers that be. So you have to really know when the right time to kind of go around them in a professional or appropriate manner, or put yourself um, in front of the right people to to get what you want. So if your boss is not a champion for you, do you have any advice about how to still plead your case or how you can still make sure you're earning what you're worth? Yes, definitely. So. I it's it's a very 
it's a very tough one. Um, you don't want to go over people's heads and you, you can actually absolutely put yourself in a, in a really bad position. But I would start by reaching out to people within your circle, um, maybe leaders that aren't your direct, that you don't directly report to, um, people within the company that you feel comfortable expressing things like that to, um, people that you can lead on, maybe cross-functionally or cross-department. Um, I would probably do that before going directly to your boss's boss or upper management. But whenever you do have the opportunity to prove yourself to upper management, absolutely take that. Um, I've, I personally was had experienced where I was not allowed. It was basically a role. The team was not allowed to speak to the president of the company. He would come by the desk and ask what the sales were for the day or the previous day or how, you know, this influencer performed on social. And, you know, you kind of salivate for that opportunity in a more junior role. But our immediate boss did not want that communication. So kind of looping her in and making sure that you don't, you aren't stepping on people's toes, but still offer up that information, you know, still know whenever it's appropriate when you're not um, just looking out for yourself, but it's very important to look out for yourself. Yeah, that's great advice. And I liked what you said earlier about you want to, hopefully you have a boss you have a better relationship with. You want to think of this as how can I give them enough information so that they can champion me? And so when you're going into a negotiation, either for the new job or the raise, you want to give them as much data and enough of a reason to give you that money so that they can go back to somebody else and say, this is why we really need to hire this person or why this person absolutely needs a raise. Absolutely. You're kind of in the in the driver's seat, whether you're interviewing for a new role or proving yourself within a current role. Um, I think especially in digital or e-commerce, it's not necessarily new anymore, but you'd be surprised by how many companies are a little bit late to the game or upper management just doesn't quite know what goes into the workload. Um, you know, you can have a traditional mindset of how retail or marketing works, but in the digital age, upper management can think that things just appear and happen overnight. So you have to be in the driver's seat. And I think that speaks to any industry that you're in, but you have to be in the driver's seat to say, okay, this conversation, we're talking about this, but what can I actually, how can I shift that to a relatable topic that shows my value or shows what I'm bringing to the table for this role or whether it's a new role or an existing role or what what we really should need to be tracking. You know, we're talking about traffic today and we should really be talking about conversion, getting into the e-commerce, e-commerce world. But, you know, they all, you really have to shift it to what's really important for yourself, the company, obviously, and then definitely the person you're reporting to and how you're going to um, work better together and make each other's lives easier. Yeah. And I love the driver's seat metaphor because I also think it's really on you to tell people what you've been accomplishing. Because for a lot of us, it's so behind the scenes or if you're doing a really wonderful job, nobody will notice anything. Especially I've been in project management and management. It's my job to make sure that my boss doesn't think anything is going wrong. So when the time comes, you really have to point it out and say, this is what I've been contributing because it's not so obvious. Christina made a really good point there, and I think if I'm hearing you correctly, it's about understanding the aligned incentives of the other people or parties whom you're negotiating with. Think about try and understand what they're incentivized by. People are incentivized by a lot of things. If you think about like the innate psychologically, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs type of stuff, even even not that, but uh, thinking about the most basic human instinct level, people need food, water, shelter. And in our world, we're talking about money here. Everyone wants more money. Everyone, everyone cares about their reputation um, and their ego along the way. So at the most basic of level, think about aligned incentives around how you can frame and communicate what you're asking for in a way that's aligned to helping the people whom you're negotiating with around those incentives, around more money, ego, or the reputation, or anything else that may be crazy that that person cares about. It's really, really important. That's great advice. Just 
beyond negotiation, just to put yourself in the other party's shoes and to figure out it's not about me getting what I want. There's always a way for both of us to win in this scenario. And I think too often we all think about negotiation as a win-lose where one party makes out better than the other. But in a healthy negotiation, both parties should feel very satisfied. They should feel like I'm the employee and I'm earning what I'm worth. And the company should feel like they're really benefiting from having you there. Melissa, you bring up a really good point uh, that's worth noting around some mis, uh, some misconceptions around negotiating. It is not, and from what I've learned about negotiating all the books and courses that I've personally gone through, the one key point to make, one of the key learnings is that negotiating is not a zero-sum game. It is not binary, I win, this person loses, or vice versa. The best negotiations increase the larger pie and opportunity for everybody involved. So going back to how you do that is finding aligned incentives. But great negotiating should not be a zero-sum zero sum game where a win or a loss occurs. It should be making the opportunity for everyone larger. And it's not just about um, what happens in that actu- in that specific conversation. So much happens behind the scenes that you don't know, you don't realize. So you w- go into the conversation, you could have, you can think that it went incredibly well or incredibly, it went terribly. What you do after and in between those discussions are actually more important. So um, one thing that I, I know that I've personally learned throughout my career, and I probably still don't do as well as I should, is talk about what I'm doing. Go back to the basics. Put together a deck of what you're actually doing. Educate upper management on on what your strategies are, what the objectives are, the goals, and how you are achieving those. You know, I'll especially I, I you know, I'm in, in startup mode right now, and I'm moving at such a quick pace. And I'm kind of hurting myself by not stopping and educating the team on what I'm doing. Because here I am setting up doing things that I haven't done in years or or working literally around the clock. And I'm not talk, stopping to talk about it. And how can they be behind me? And how can I have the confidence of the team, in, especially in startup mode, um, whenever I'm not really talking about what I'm doing? And, you know, I think that speaks to what anyone might be experiencing in when they're trying to negotiate or obviously planning for their next negotiation. Mm-hmm. Christina, that's a really good point and something that I think about as well for folks on my team is how to showcase and highlight and recognize their accomplishments and and positive behavior and, and positive impact that they're having on our organization and the broader team. How can men support women in that point specifically in helping understand and, and recognize the positive work that, that women specifically are doing in the workplace? My answer was initially going to go in the direction of not just male or female, but um, expressing how more work is necessary. It's not necessarily just busy work. It's work to educate the team. So I think probably just approach, um, the, the approach would help for women. Expressing that, all right, you're in a leadership role or you're in a in a role where a lot of people don't may not know what you're doing and what what your job looks like or um, the value that you're bringing to the table. You know, so I would I would basically just finesse how you approach it, but say, here's how we have to present what what we're working on right now and and what the objectives and goals are and and showcase, take a step away from being in the thick of the day to day and actually doing and talk about what we're doing and, and planning a strategy. And I think that also helps build a stronger platform or foundation to build off of later down the road. I'm finding right now building presentations and decks of what I'm going to do helps me be a little bit more planned further down the road. I'm not quite sure about how that would differ between male or female. Something that this is bringing up for me is 
when you come to a negotiation, you need to be able to advocate for what you've done in the past. But in the moment, it's going to be hard for you to remember. So maybe something practical that anybody listening can start doing now is just keeping track of your accomplishments. And that way, when you do come into a negotiation, you're armed already. You have a list of things that have gone well for you, projects that you've led, milestones or goals that you've hit, and you're you're fully prepared. Yeah, I think that's a really good point uh, and a very uh, easy thing that anybody listening can start today in, in any form, whether it's a, a, a literally a notebook or a Google Doc or Evernote, however you want to do that, make it work for yourself. It's a really lightweight, easy thing to do. Um, this also translates into resume stuff. Um, I get asked by a lot of different folks um, of all different roles, um, non-sales related, to review their resume. And how can I, how can they showcase their resume in a really strong point? What you're talking about is great reference material to go on your resume and not just show the things that you've done on your resume. Like as a marketing manager, as a creative person, I was involved in, in this ad campaign at this time at this company, but translating and communicating that like of the impact that your work had on the business that you were involved in, on the colleagues that you worked with, and on the customers of your company that you worked on. So trans and communicating the impact of your work beyond just what you were responsible for or beyond what you did. What was the impact of that? So that's really that makes a, a very good or a very average resume very, very standout and powerful that even non-sales or non-quantifiable roles or um, roles that are more difficult to quantify the success around creative and and non-sales type things that still can be done. It's a little bit more challenging, but there are ways to do it. Um, and I'm happy to support and, and help and give guidance on 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 ways to do that for for anyone in their resume. It's really, really important to help your resume stand out. As we kind of get to wrapping up this episode, I'm curious to hear what other tips and resources you guys have in mind. Books, websites, resources. What have you found helpful about negotiation that you would recommend to listeners? So LinkedIn is obvious first, um, but I've, I've actually been surprised by how many people really underutilize it. It's very simple. You know, just polish up your profile, make a few connections, start with your current, you know, first connections and go to your second and third um, and really put feelers out there for your personal contacts using social media and, and just reaching out. Um, other than that, recruiting agencies work very well. Um, for, as far as online goes, The Muse is a great website to use. I mentioned Glassdoor earlier. That's a great place to not only learn about salaries and, and actual jobs out there, but also to research the company. Um, I discovered Glassdoor after exiting a company that I had a very bad experience at. And if I had seen those reviews, I would never have accepted the job and left a job that I was actually quite happy with um, because I was approached via LinkedIn. So um, definitely all, all signs really, really point back to LinkedIn and um, personal contacts. You can make a lot happen and just gather leads and then really take it from there. So I second all of the resources that uh, Christina mentioned, LinkedIn being a really powerful tool. There's even premium features that are very inexpensive that can be used temporarily as you're in your job search process, specifically a premium feature called uh, Job Seeker, I believe it's called, that's about $30, 25 to $30 per month that you can use just for your time that you're looking uh, for jobs or looking to 
um, get real data around your salary negotiation ahead of that time. So think about an investment. $30 may be expensive to some people, and it is expensive to some people. But think about the opportunity of the ROI on that $30 investment for 30 days that you use it. So if you spend and then cancel your membership in 30 days, that $30 investment may warrant an increase in salary of two to five to ten thousand dollars on an annualized basis. Those are that's real. Like that can actually happen. So that investment actually quickly pays for itself. It may be expensive for for you in the short term, but think about how many few less coffees you needed you need to have. That's ten less coffees in the month than the month before to be able to save up for that. Or fewer applications that you need to apply to because you're actually presented, I believe in that feature, you're presented to hiring managers that are searching for candidates um, without having to apply. I actually found a few myself using LinkedIn as a, as a recruiting tool. Besides uh, stuff like Glassdoor, LinkedIn, The Muse that Christina mentioned, ask for help uh, and build your network. Uh, in terms of networking for uh, women specifically, I don't know a whole lot about this because I'm not invited and that's very okay, but I'm a huge proponent of it, is uh, what the folks over at The Wing are doing. Yes. Those are so only applicable to uh, listeners in New York area. Uh, they have a location in Washington, D.C., and then soon coming in October of this year in San Francisco. But for those who aren't familiar with The Wing, it's an organization founded by Audrey Gelman and Lauren Casson. The, the way they describe it, and I'm copying, I'm reading this from their website, is uh, it's a network and co-working community spaces designed for women. And they have a lot of uh, resources available for women specifically who are part of their network and their organization. And just quickly on their mission, uh, it says, we believe the act of coming together as women creates new opportunities, ideas, and conversations that will lead to a greater mobility and prosperity for womankind. I love that. Uh, so if those folks and those listeners look up the wing and see, see how you can be involved and participate in their conversations. Lastly is simple books. Uh, one of my favorite negotiating books ever is called Getting More by Stuart Diamond. He comes from Wharton and is a book uh, from Wharton University um, and is a really, really well-known uh, professor from Wharton. And the book uh, is available wherever you buy books, but it's called Getting More by Stuart Diamond. Now, lastly, is uh, an opportunity if you want to invest further is a negotiating class at your local college. These are classes. I've done one at UC Berkeley by a professor called Terrence Hurd when I used to live in San Francisco. Uh, and these cost anywhere from a couple hundred dollars to a thousand dollars, depending on what it is. So a much heavier investment and time cost as well. But what I learned in that course for eight weeks and uh, for $800 that it cost me to do that is applicable in everyday life and I can speak for certain has led to me getting more in my life that leads to what I want in life to be able to live a more fulfilling, healthy lifestyle that, that I'm looking for. And I would really, really make that a, uh, for those who are afforded the opportunity to do so, uh, really look into to something like that. And I actually want to add to that. If you can't take a course, also, um, you know, getting the experience is so critical. And take the take the interviews that you don't feel are your dream job. Um, I've had a lot of friends turn down interviews or cancel interviews even um, for roles that they were initially relatively interested in, but um, they just didn't want to go through it. You learn so much more about yourself, about your interview skills, about your negotiation power by just taking those interviews. And, and you can actually also realize that it might be a really good opportunity that you that didn't come across on paper. 
We talked earlier, too, about how do we get the confidence to go into a negotiation. But what both of you are mentioning now is that it takes practice and training. This is a learned skill. Most people are not natural negotiators. But if you take the time to practice and you find a book, a site, a course, or whatever fits your lifestyle, you will get better at negotiation. You will feel more comfortable, and it will quite literally pay off for you. So to close, I'd love to have each of you just give listeners any final pieces of advice about negotiation that you'd like to share. And maybe, Christina, we'll start with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you can start by not overthinking it. You don't have to polish up your resume to be perfect. You don't, I mean, yes, you definitely want to cover those typos, but you you don't have to send 20 emails. You don't have to apply to 50 applications, you know, send 50 applications. Start small. Um, you reach out to your network, reach out to your closer connections. People are more willing to help than you realize. Um, you know, in New York, people don't want to be bothered, but they love giving directions um, and we're in a sharing world. So, you know, just reach out to to who you might know. You'd be surprised by how many connections you can make by that, by just doing that. Um, polish up your LinkedIn profile. Just adding one little byline can prove, improve dramatically. Um, I've been approached by some pretty great um, jobs that I've had in my career just simply by being reached out to on LinkedIn and not even being active on the, on the um, platform. So definitely leveraging that. And Stefan, how about you? Yeah, I think uh, Christina said it really well, and I would second that, is ask for help. Um, you're not alone in this. A lot of people feel like this is an individual thing, especially when it comes to salary negotiation. And it's important for everyone to understand that you're not alone. There's everyone else, including the people whom you're negotiating with, who your bosses, the HR folks, the recruiting folks. They are also, at some point in their lives and their career, are going to the same conversation that you are. So reach out to your network Reach out to cross-functional folks who you may not interact with on a daily basis and ask for their advice and perspective. You'll be surprised what you get when you just simply ask. Yeah, absolutely. You're not alone. And also, you are worth it. You're worth the ask. The worst somebody can say is no, like you said earlier, Zephan. So the risk is very low, but the possible gain is very high. So hopefully people listening are feeling inspired to start making little asks in their day-to-day life or preparing for an even bigger ask in a negotiation. But you're worth it. You guys can do it. This week, our try it out challenges for anyone, even if you aren't immediately getting ready for a negotiation. What we want to encourage you to do is just to start keeping track of your accomplishments. So save emails, save quotes that you may have heard praising your work, anything from bosses, coworkers, any screenshots that you may have. Just start saving those so that when the time does come for you to either get a new job and fill out that resume, or even to go into your boss and to request a raise, you'll have this arsenal of accomplishments and information at the ready. So today, just figure out where you want to save all of that information. And maybe to take it a step further, see if you can go back through anything you already have that would be worth safekeeping. So I hope that this accomplishment list will help you feel prepared for your next negotiation. Thank you for joining us this week. You can see all of Zephan and Christina's information and links, plus links to all of the great resources we mentioned about negotiation today in the show notes at figuringitoutpodcast.com slash eight. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll subscribe to Figuring It Out in your favorite podcast player or on our website at figuringitoutpodcast.com. Also, I have something a little bit different to share today. I've started collecting questions and upcoming episode ideas through my Instagram account at Melissa Guller. 
So if you'd like to help vote for upcoming episodes or contribute questions to our next few guests, you can check out my story highlights on my Instagram account at Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-G-U-L-L-E-R. Or you can send me a direct message anytime. I hope you enjoyed this episode about negotiation with Christina Banahansky and Zephan Fischel. I'm Melissa Guller, and you've been listening to Figuring It Out. See you next week. Yeah.